Okay, everyone places. This is the final scene, so let's make this one count. And... Action. Hello, and welcome to Popcorn. We are your guide to what is now playing in theaters, and we give you our fans' review of those films. I'm Tuesday, and I've got my New Year's hug with me and fellow reviewer, Kaylee. We're going to knock out two movies for you, starting with Lady Bird, and then we'll come around and talk about The Shape of Water. But first, Lady Bird. I want to go where culture is, like New York, or at least Connecticut or New Hampshire, where writers live in the woods. Get into those schools anyway. Mom! You can't even pass your driver's test. Because you wouldn't let me practice The way enough. that you work, or the, or the way that you don't work, you're not even worth state tuition, Christine. My name is Ladybird. Uh, well, actually, it's not, and it's ridiculous. Call me Ladybird like Christine. you said you would. Just, you should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College, and then to jail, and then back to City College, and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. <laughs> So Lady Bird is a coming-of-age story about a high school senior um, in Sacramento, California. She really wants to go to college um, out of state. She is kind of a lower middle-class income bracket, and she is very angsty. So we get to see her kind of grow and evolve from this really kind of selfish high schooler. She tries to get in with the popular crowd. And then she comes to realize at the end, she comes full circle and kind of discovers who she is as a person, where she fits in with the world and who her real friends are and how much her family actually means to her. It's a very powerful film where I feel like a lot of us watching it is like a touchstone. It's like, I can relate with that. I totally get that. That was me when I was a teenager. Greta Gerwig is the director of this film. And this is her directorial debut as well. And I would have to say pretty darn snappy. (laughs) Yes, only up until recently, the film is one of the only ones ever to sit at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes for an extended period of time. So it was a breakout hit, I would say, for Greta Gerwig. That is so phenomenal when you sit back and actually think about it. Regardless of how you feel about Rotten Tomatoes, to actually get 100% as a new director is huge, huge. But, I mean, it, it was it's well-deserved, and Sersha Ronan plays the lead, and I love Sersha. I've been following her career for quite some time now. I loved her in Brooklyn, which was, I guess, a couple years ago now, if I remember correctly. She just has this presence on screen. She really owns and embodies her character. I don't feel like I'm watching Sersha. I'm watching the, the character that she's playing, which can be hard for actors who start getting really noticeable, like Tom Cruise. Like, you can run into him and be like, oh, it's just Tom Cruise again. Not so with Sersha. I could just watch her for days. I really want this to be her breakout role. That really pushes her over the edge. Yes. Uh, I relate it very similar to Ellen Page and Juno. Oh, yeah. She had done a handful of films prior to Juno, but very similarly, Ellen Page does this coming-of-age story, and she's catapulted. And I really hope that that happens here with Ronan, because... I think half of it was the acting. Her relationship with Laurie Metcalf, who is the mother, that chemistry really shines Mm -hmm. through the screen. And I think the acting was outstanding. Laurie, I mean, she is definitely on my one of my top picks for like best supporting actress. She played the worried, um, a little bit overbearing mother role so well. It it felt 
like it could have been my mom or it could have been your mom. She had this whole, you know, push and pull, like, I want to love you, but you need to get your act together kind of role. And it's it's hard to play that role in such a way where it doesn't turn you off, I think, where they become the villain. I never for once saw her as the villain. Well, while she got close to bordering it, you always kind of still stayed on the protective, nurturing mom side. Mm-hmm. One aspect I really liked and what I noticed initially was that the first 10 minutes of this film packs more humor than some comedies that are out there that are more mainstream. So that that again kind of shoots to Gerwig's like we're going to we're going to be this breakout hit and we're going to do this right the first time around. Which again I, I have to say is very similar to Juno. It has that it has that humor and all of us grew up and all of us were awkward and all of us can relate and that's that's a very easy genre to cover and so you have to do it well i think with coming of age films they're like a dime a dozen and coming to mind now like boyhood from several years ago um was such this a was huge, so much better though it was so much better <laughs> for so many reasons but you got to do something really stand out and when I'm when I say stand out I think you gotta just really hit the real life aspect because that is the whole point of a coming of age story is really watching somebody who could be you come into their own Sersha when she would get into her funks and be like pouty I was like yeah I have done that (laughs) absolutely one more thing before we move on to our next film the city of Sacramento really was a character And you can tell her love and hatred for it. It was just showed through in all the streets. It showed through in all the the cityscapes. And it it just looked like Northern California. Like, uh, clearly they were there. Was it you, Tuesday, who said that, um, oh, yeah, Sacramento, it's like the Midwest of of California. Oh, my gosh, yes. And I know because I grew up doing Christmases there. So <laughs> so it's it definitely hits home on that front, too, which I think just was part of the secret sauce of this film. Okay, so moving gears a little bit, The Shape of Water, uh, that's going to be the most recent uh, handcrafted film by Guillermo del Toro. Now, he is known for some other films, Pan's Labyrinth and the Hellboy series, for example. So we're setting up the shape of water. This is going to be in the 60s during the Cold War era. Eliza, who is playing Sally Hawkins, uh, she's a lonely woman. She is working in a classified government building of some sort. It's never really identified. We know it is U.S. based, but we don't know really what kind of government sector it is. And her and her co-worker, who is played by Octavia Spencer, they find something a little bit more classified than documents uh, while they clean the government building. Well, you look at this. Look. Some of the best minds in the country peeing all over the floor in this here facility. Mm, mm, mm. There's pee freckles on the ceiling now. How'd they get it up there? Just how big a target do they need, you figure? And get enough practice, that's for sure. My Brewster, no one's ever called him a great man, but even he 
manages to hit the can 7% of the time. <laughs> Excuse us, sir. No, no, no. That's all right. Go ahead. You ladies seem to be chatting enjoyably. Girl talk, no doubt. Don't mind me. What makes this film really interesting is Eliza, she doesn't speak. She uses sign language. And her coworker actually never really stops talking. <laughs> and the secret uh, aquatic, I guess you could say, discovery also does not speak a language that humans can understand. The mixing of those languages is what kind of really got me. It, it, didn't, it didn't take one universal language to find connection and love and understanding. Mm-hmm. And that I, I really liked that. It kind of plays like an adult fairy tale, like maybe an adult Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, very much so. Because they had that injustice and prejudice that the Beast feels in the more childlike version of this. Uh, but that was my first initial instinct was, oh my gosh, it's, it's an adult version. Because there very much is voodoo, sexual, and other aspects that are not appropriate for children. But it very much plays as a modern-day fairy tale. Yeah, this uh, you couldn't have said it any better Tuesday. It it is a fairy tale, but it's a very it's a very weird fairy tale, and I'm still on the fence on whether or not I'd say I like it. I think I'm getting closer towards that point where I can say I liked this film, but it was it was very. Very strange. I mean, the the whole premise of having your lead be mute and communicate through sign language was fascinating to me. And this is the second film this year where it was like main characters using sign language. And we had that in Wonderstruck, which was also another great film this year. But I liked the fact that they were kind of highlighting ASL, even though it wasn't like formal ASL in that film highlighting that though as, as a language and like you said it, it, the the mirroring or the um the marriage between different ways of speaking different ways of communicating you really just hit it on the nose with that I almost did not take that away because I was so what caught my attention was the cinematography and the colors and how each shot was framed this film was very bold on it is green. We are mostly green in this film. Oh, we're going to a white scene. What does the white scene mean? Uh, and now this scene, we're actually going to be red. And so I was really fascinated by the color palette and why we had these certain color changes. Because for 80% of the film, it is green. Mm-hmm. It's very it's, green. I almost found it dark. Much more of like a, we're not talking seafoam, we're talking dark deep green like a lake green absolutely and that was very much a common theme and i think it very much was and it i think it was supposed to feel cold like water mm-hmm. and have that that feeling which i definitely had throughout it if you study like film or, or how the making of film like green is always used as a color when something frightening is going to happen like aliens um, it's a sign of supernatural or like evil. So a more fun example in Thor 3, Kate uh, Blanchett's character, it, her main colors are black and green. Loki, black and green. Um, like I said, alien, lots of green lights. So not that our creature here is evil, though. This is something else that was really interesting. It's It's almost hard to decide if he is a creature, like an animal, or if he is more humanoid because... 
he eats a cat <laughs> and uh, he kind of attacks people and defends himself like an animal. And yet he's starting to learn to communicate with Eliza as she teaches him sign language. And so I was getting kind of like these throwbacks to like the 1960s when they were teaching gorillas and chimpanzees sign language. Absolutely. I'm in the same realm with you. I feel like it's had to grow on me because at first I I was like, well, this is okay. You know, for me, it's you either like Guillermo del Toro or you don't. And I don't feel like there's a whole lot of gray within that. The movie could have gone completely rogue, but Guillermo seemed to kind of keep everything together, which surprised me because it could have been all over the place and Mm -hmm. a complete mess. But when I really think about it, my complaints about originality in the box office, at least I can say it was different and it was unique. Yes. It was one of those films that's going to stick with me, but I could say the same for his other film, Pan's Labyrinth, Mm -hmm. which still gives me nightmares. (laughs) The the baby eater in that one. And that's what I think is Guillermo's uh, gift, is that when you see his films, you remember them. They stay with you long after they've been done. And I'm actually going to be curious when Comic-Con season starts rolling around, how many people are going to be doing the the swamp creature thing. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Or, you know, going as a couple with uh, as Eliza, the swamp creature. And also, real quick, uh, Octavia Spencer, fantastic. I loved her as as the side character. I mean, have we really disliked her in anything? (laughs) No, she's amazing. So totally uh, also a contender for Best Supporting Actress. I would hope so, yeah. It's like any of of del toro's last films i'm like well i saw it and it was okay do i need to buy it and watch it regularly in my collection no but would i always see one of his yes and with that in mind he is working on an upcoming version of pinocchio and it's actually supposed to be a much darker version of the childhood story Mm. and that looks super interesting and again he might not be my favorite but i always want to check off his boxes I've seen it yes because you never know what quite he's going to do no and maybe that's part of the allure well that's it for this episode two for one guys here ladybird and the shape of water starting with ladybird uh, I'm gonna say this is a must-see definitely as we enter award season absolutely and the shape of water also a must-see yeah. to believe it <laughs> yeah Thanks so much for listening. We got more reviews coming up online. Also, be sure to check out our end of year roundup of the greatest and the worst films of 2017. Be sure to check that out. Thanks for listening. Do, 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 do.